Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. I think we have a pretty good show for you today. We are going to discuss um, a myriad of different things with our guest, Josh Edwards, from CBS Sports in just a little bit. We're going to talk real quick about the defense, and I don't want to talk about it all too much because there wasn't there wasn't a ton to talk about. I mean, it was a pretty boring game. The Lions only ran 46 offensive plays for 245 yards. The rushing net was 168. That was the problem. And we knew Detroit was going to run the ball well. Well, you can't really guarantee that, but you thought they were going to run the ball well because obviously they don't throw it much and they run block pretty efficiently, uh, but they have a commitment to running the football. They only threw for 77 yards. Tim Boyle, pretty bad as advertised. I don't think that's uh, something you can run away from in this one. He was. Boyle was 15 of 23 for 77 yards and two interceptions. Uh, DeAndre Swift went 14 carries, 136. You take out that long run, which two players had him squared up on the 57-yard touchdown run. It changes the scope of everything. But, man, I'm telling you, from, like, watching the Lions offense to how the Browns defense just kind of got through the day, pretty boring game. Pretty boring game on that side of the ball. The Browns ran base defense, matched Anything 12 personnel or more, 15 times. They ran nickel 26 times and dime 5 times. Again, continuing the trend of not being a high-volume dime defense team. More nickel than anything else. They only blitzed 4 times in the game. Maybe 5. I think PFF has a discrepancy there. They put 5 dropbacks against the blitz for Boyle. I didn't see 5, but that's just me. Nonetheless, it was the low blitz, very vanilla defense that I thought it would be against a backup quarterback, and it was fine as they held the Lions to 10 points under 250 yards, created a couple turnovers with two interceptions, and got enough pressure. I mean, they were fine. A low-pressure game, but also the football was coming out lightning speed. They were chipping both defensive ends, and really, if you take the Browns' defensive ends out of it, you're not going to see a ton of pressures. At least to me, Malik McDowell gets you some. He got a couple in this game, but right now the interior of the Browns' defense is it's struggling. Malik Jackson had the high grade at 58.1, 46.8 against run defense, and a 26.6 tackle grade. Malik McDowell goes a 30.2 grade in 38 snaps. So uh, just an unfortunate trend where we thought Malik McDowell was going to be a stud at the beginning portions of the year, but he has started to fade immensely. And Jordan Elliott put together his worst game of the season with a 29.4 grade. So McDowell, after starting the season pretty hot, has been has been below the number that you would want him to be at. He has been an effective pass rusher with 21 pressures, but the run defense of a 46.9 on the season and a 29.4 tackle grade, which is five missed tackles, is starting to add up in his collective grade. So not as high as you would like to see from him. Jordan Elliott, like I said, his grade of 29.4 is the worst grade of a season. His 48.4 against Denver Week 7 was the other low mark, 25 snaps, and was pretty ineffective. They don't anchor very well. They're struggling in that department, and they're really creating a lot of run lanes 
for running backs without creating much initial burst or disruption at the point of attack. So I would have my eyes on the potential of what the future could be, whether draft or free agency along the interior. Again, that's where my eyes go. The standout performance is Malcolm Smith had 18 snaps, 90.5 grade. He had three stop tackles in those 18 snaps, and he had that interception, which was huge. Denzel Ward, another great game, did not allow a reception thrown his way. He ends up with an 85.8 grade, 88.5 in coverage, a heck of an interception on a deep post shot where he was in cover three and ran with it beautifully. Mac Wilson has continued a nice trend. Now, his snaps are never high, 13 snaps on the game, nine run defense snaps, but an 81.8 grade, had three tackles. And don't look now, he's having his best season of his career. Now, he's not, again, he's not a high-volume player. He's only at 180 snaps, but he is, went on the field, putting together some nice metrics as far as grades go and tackling well. He only has one missed tackle on the season, along with 10 stop plays and 23 tackles. So the future for Mac, sort of crossing over with Sione Takitaki, is the similar type of player, is unfortunate. But those guys uh, playing in the in a good direction with the limited snaps. Ronnie Harrison had his best game, allowed two catches for only two yards on two targets his way, a 79.9 total grade, four total tackles, a stop tackle, 80, uh, 82.7 run defense grade and a 69.5 coverage mark. So again, some of his best work of the year, which helped because otherwise safety play, not very good in this one. We all know what John Johnson's continuing to do, which is struggle in run defense, a 39.7 run defense grade. He only was credited with one missed tackle, but boy, it's like the game is moving too quick for him or surprising him. Like the speed of the game is surprising him at certain points, which is leaving him almost flummoxed at the at the point of attack with how to take angles on people. I don't know. It's bad. It's concerning, very concerning. He did have a nice coverage grade, but I think almost everybody did, partly because they didn't throw the ball very well, and Tim Boyle's terrible. So Johnson had a 58.3 grade. Greg Newsom a 55.1. He was your nickel corner. He had 22, sorry, 20 snaps in the slot. John Johnson supplemented a little bit with 12. Ronnie Harrison had 10. That's how you make up for Troy Hill being out, which meant Greedy Williams had to play a lot, and Greedy played fine. A 79.7 grade and 80.4 in coverage. Did not allow a catch in his direction. Had a stop tackle. Also had four total tackles on the game. Uh, Miles Garrett, ho-hum, 45 snaps, 75.5 defense grade. He led the team with four pressures, only six total, so no other pressures except for Garrett's four and two from Malik McDowell. Clowney was a 47.2 grade, 69.6 tackle metric, 63.2 run defense mark. He did not have any pressures recorded and only one tackle. So he's battling injuries, and you hope he can start to turn the corner and play a little better again because they could use some pressures from him. Anthony Walker, a 50.1 grade, was kind of fine, gave up a chunk catch for uh, 29 total yards, two for three. I thought Anthony Walker was fine. They gave him four stop tackles most on the team in this game. Didn't miss a tackle. Had five five tackles of his own. Thought he was fine. Um, so, again, when you look at Greg Newsom playing the slot corner role, the run defense was a 42.3 and a 27 tackle grade as he missed a tackle. That's where I think he's got the flexibility, but he's got to get a bit more physical playing down in that low slot, in my opinion. So that's the that's the metrics for this game. Again, I don't have a ton of other things to elaborate on. I thought the Browns were so, so basic. 
Uh, I thought they matched personnel as we would expect them to. They threw some boss fronts out there. They did not do many three-man fronts or get creative in, in terms of personnel in that regard. Uh, just as I had presumed, a pretty a pretty boring game. They needed it to be. They needed to keep Detroit to 10 or below because that, that helps. That certainly helps there with their struggling offense right now. But the Ravens coming up, it's a huge, huge task uh, on that side of the football because even though Baltimore's beat up on the O-line, the running backs aren't the same. Stopping Lamar Jackson is something Cleveland has not, not been able to do consistently uh, in the course of Lamar's career. Only really one time that they bottled him up. So huge task ahead. I didn't think the Detroit game was much of a test. I didn't think it would be a game that we could pull a lot away from it. And that was that was exactly what happened. A couple things that are still concerning in run defense coming down from the secondary, like I talked about, missing tackles, over-pursuit, uh, not breaking down in time. Those things are persistent right now, but not a ton, 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 ton to learn from this game in terms of how they perform. Because that is a really bad Lions quarterback, and the receivers are pretty terrible for the most part, too. It's kind of a wreck over there. They got so much to rebuild in Detroit. So that's sort of it. For the defense, you got the personnel. They played a lot of cover three in this game, uh, a high volume of that more than anything else. Only played man about nine times, so not a ton there either. Super vanilla. Hopefully the Browns learn from what the Ravens did. Sorry, Raven. well, I say the Ravens couldn't do against Miami and, and are uh, planning to throw some unexpected stuff at the Ravens, which we will talk about with our Ravens guest tomorrow. Until then, we have a great guest, Josh Edwards from CBS. He does uh, a plenty of breakdowns. He he breaks down the whole rookie class, so that includes a lot of guys we're going to talk about here from the Browns, then also does all of the incoming draft talent, breaks those guys down as well. Josh used to work closely with the OBR as sort of an aggregator, do a ton of writing there, but has since gone back to CBS to do more of those things. Still studies the Browns, still has takes on him, so I wanted to talk about defense, obviously, and then sprinkle in a couple other questions for him at the end as well. So hopefully you guys enjoy that interview coming up now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcoming in Josh Edwards. Josh, how are you today, man? Doing pretty well, man. I'm uh, happy to be back on with you talking a little Browns football. Let's do it. Let's talk some defense to start. Um, we're going to dive into the rookies in just a bit because I know you study Greg, you study JOK as you look at your, you know, your role looking at rookies around the league. I do want to start a little bit here with your general thoughts of the defense. We know they spent money. They they improved. I'm using air quotes here. They improved the personnel, which I think they did. 
But my general thought is that the collective individual pieces are not performing up to what the sum should look like. I think some teams, it's the inverse. They find a way to make the sum better than the collective parts. It seems still sort of underperforming players that they brought in. John Johnson rings a bell. Ronnie Harrison hasn't taken steps this year, so on and so forth. It's just, although it's been good, it could be worse. I do feel like it's not quite what we expected the Browns defense to be. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you look at uh, John Johnson, first of all, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, the the tackles that he's missing, like you see him playing up in the box the way that he had done with the Rams, but he's missing these tackles that he hadn't really missed before. So it's it's become quite an issue. I mean, uh, I think it was the touchdown run against the Lions. He was, um, you know, in the gap and just completely missed. I mean, totally flat-footed. Um, so I've been disappointed with his play this year. Uh, Troy Hill, you know, you know, battling injuries and um, some of the mishaps that he's had this year. Malik Jackson, like you kind of knew who he was um, at this point in his career. Uh, you know, JOK, I think, has been fantastic when healthy. I think he's uh, easily one of pr- probably the best true rookie linebacker in the league because uh, Micah Parsons is more of a, an edge rusher, I think, at this point in terms of the success that he's had. Um, so you look at the sum of the parts, uh, you would expect more from this Cleveland defense than we've seen so far. And you mentioned Ronnie Harrison there, too. I've been you know, a little disappointed with him just because not only is he not taking the step forward that maybe we had anticipated, it always seems like he's involved in one of these boneheaded plays um, game in and game out that ends up costing the team. So uh, you want to see more discipline. And now we're starting to hear the players chatter a little bit more in the public um, in terms of possibly not being prepared or not, you know, having an idea of what the defense is trying to do. So uh, there's certainly con- some concern around Joe Woods' squad. Yeah, the, the Ronnie Harrison stuff now, you add in that he's suspended for the first drive, essentially, Stefanski said, team rules issue. Didn't go into the detail of it, but... You add that up to all the boneheaded plays, like you're saying, and it's like, you know, it almost feels like um, the the safety that was here for a while, who they traded for him from the Green Bay. Help me out. Maybe you can remember his name off the top of Oh, your yeah, head. Demarius Randall. Demarius yeah. Randall. Yeah, like where you had a great year, a pretty strong year, and then you're expecting this guy, okay, contract year, and it falls apart. Maybe it's the contract year thing in Cleveland that doesn't go well. I don't know. It's just he, he has not progressed the way you had hoped, and it's it's been an uncomfortable safety situation because Grant Delpit, who we hoped, knowing he had the Achilles issue, is going to be hard to come back from. It has been a little less than what I thought he was going to be based on his first game. I was like, okay, I see a role, and that one has sort of faded away too. I'll ask this because I think, you know, if I look at this stuff, Josh, I'm, I'm almost certain – if I pull up the data for where the Browns are in, in terms of like pro football focuses, defensive grades and DVOA, I, I don't know if there's many metrics that are going to tell you that the Browns defense is playing all too poorly. You know, I think we get frustrated by their approach, but their collective defensive grades um, are fourth in the NFL for pro football focus this year. And that leaves me going like, hmm, really? You know, so my question will be, though, there's going to be some metrics that are strong and it's clear that there's frustration from the players like you mentioned frustration from the fan base it it's 
not just a defense issue. We're not talking much offense tonight, but it's pretty clear the offense is struggling immensely. But is Joe Woods' job safe, in your opinion, or do you think there's going to be real pressure if they maybe go 9-8 and eight or something like that, 10-7, and seven, miss the playoffs, that something has to change? I don't envision Kevin firing himself or Alex Van Pelt. I would have to think that they might look at the defensive side of the ball, but it's like the metrics are strong. So where does the balance fall? Do you think he could potentially be a guy who they move on from? Well, I think with his relationship with uh, Coach Stefanski, I think it makes it difficult to do that. I think if the wheels totally fall off, then you certainly have to consider that because um, you know the the pattern with NFL coaching is somebody has to fall on the sword. And you, like you said, it's not going to be Stefanski or Alex Van Pelt. So uh, that kind of leaves one option with Joe Woods. Um, so I don't think it's going to reach that point. Uh, but if we continue to see the discourse between the players and the coaching, I mean, something has to give at the end of the season. And you're not seeing the type of development uh, that you would hope to see from your young players. Obviously, this this team has some limitations. Um, you know, we've talked about the defensive tackle depth already. Um, you know, I've been a little disappointed. They did a lot of a lot of interesting things early in the year with their stunts. Um, the way that they were using Jadevian Clowney, I feel like they've gotten away from that a little bit and just started playing teams more straight up. So I'd like to see a little bit more creativity brought back into it. Um, and maybe the return of JOK will kind of open up some doors for them moving forward. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to see a change at defensive coordinator um, at the end of this year, even though it's you know potentially warranted, quite frankly, the you know what we've seen in recent weeks. But at the same time, you know, you're talking about the frustration and, you know, how we feel as fans and how it's perceived nationally. Um, you know, this team was right in it with Pittsburgh. They were right in it with Detroit. Like, they weren't giving up a ton of points. Um, obviously, beat Cincinnati pretty bad. So the defense really wasn't the issue. Um, I think those frustrations are just kind of compounded when you're – it comes down to the end of the game – um, and you're relying on the defense to get these stops, and they've had trouble getting off the off the field on third down. Um, you know, I think it's a combination of issues, quite frankly, at this point. But they certainly need a get-right game, and 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 you know, Baltimore is probably not the team to do it against. No, Baltimore is where the strain could really happen for the defense. I think we're at a critical point for the offense. We could agree there. But the strain hasn't hit the defense yet. And if Lamar Jackson plays, then you start getting into more strain on the defense. And that's where it could get dicey. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. They could have a plan. It could work out. But that's where some of these conversations, maybe you and I are a week or two out in front of, could get uh, could get pretty ugly. So let's switch to the rookies because I do think JOK coming back from injury has been a little underwhelming as he's returned, as it would, ha- you know, you'd imagine he's dealing with a high ankle sprain. But talk about JOK and talk about. Greg Newsom and how you feel about the long-term projections of those guys compared to their peers around the NFL. Yeah, I still feel really good about where both of those guys are at their point, this point in their career. Um, you know, JOK, like you mentioned, has uh, been a little underwhelming relative to what we had seen early in the season, but at the same time, um, he's, he's, he's on this unknown pitch count, uh, you know, that he found out, you know, that, he he didn't know that he was on a pitch count, which seemed like poor communication again from the coaching staff. But um, you know, when you're considering 20 snaps or less a game, it can be kind of difficult to 
get into the groove of things, especially a player that um, fires around the field the way that JOK does, but still really promised, um, you know, intrigued with his upside because of how quick he is to key and react, um, the reckless way that he plays in the sense that, you know, he's going to throw his body into these pulling blockers and, um, you know, have no second thoughts about it. He's a guy that can cover guys leaking out of the backfield. Um, you know, and then Greg Newsom, I think they've, they've obviously mixed things up with him a little bit. They had greedy on the boundary last week and, and had Greg in the, in the slot a little bit more. Um, so I'm encouraged to see that kind of versatility from him because greedy has played fantastic. So the fact that Troy Hill has been maybe, uh, has left a little bit to, to be desired, um, potentially allows them to do some things with Greg Newsom in the slot and Denzel and Greedy um, on the boundary moving forward. But I've been really encouraged with not only his ability to play in the slot or on the boundary, but his ability to transition vertically to the field. I mean, he's he's been fantastic covering routes across the field as, you know, in addition to covering those vertical developing routes. Um, so just overall encouraged with what both of those guys bring to the table. Um, I think Newsom is probably the cleanest um, in terms of just overall ability among the rookie corners this year. It's good. It's good to hear because they need it. They need him to be. They need him to be stellar next to Denzel. I think Denzel has made some strides here late in the season to get back on track. Had another nice game yesterday, especially noticeable his interception. But they they continue to draft young corners, I think it's going to be imperative for them to develop them because if Greedy and Denzel can can be the players we think they can, then there's a way they can have three young interchangeable pieces there, which is you know, which is huge for uh, avoiding too many contracts and free agency, so on and so forth. Is there another Browns rookie who's maybe not hitting the field that you're still really interested in? I know Tommy Togi, I just started hitting the field a little bit. Um, defensively, they pick quite a few of these guys. So I don't know if there's any still out there that pique your interest as you think about the future of this Browns team. They've done a pretty good job incorporating most of those guys. Um, Togiai interests me a little bit. Uh, you know, just the, the plays that you've highlighted, um, you know, on social media recently, just with his ability to add a little bit more um, from a run-stopping perspective, I think is encouraging because that's one area where uh, Cleveland's defensive line has fallen short. Um, Demetric Felton has obviously missed, you know, some time with uh, the COVID situation, but um, I still think he's a really fascinating player in the way that Cleveland can use him. Um, I think there's a way to get him more involved in the game plan moving forward, because right now he's just kind of a novelty to this offense. Um, and I think there's a lot more to his game than what we've seen so far this year. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, you know, looked really good those first couple weeks in the season. He's kind of fallen off since then. Um, you know, I don't know if the situation with OBJ, you know, kind of had him falling back in the shadows or, um, you know, what is going on there. But I'd like to see him kind of come to the forefront a little bit more as we get down the stretch, because I think, you know, we're we're reaching um, a point where Jarvis is, is probably gone beyond this season. I think most people would agree with that. So you're looking for some of these young players to kind of fill up or to step up and, um, you know, occupy some of these roles and, and maybe give um, this team a little bit of hope on that side of the ball moving forward. Let's talk continuing moving forward. Where does this group defensively, whether the rest of this year <clears throat> or, or kind of projecting the future is how I should say it. We'll project the future here. 
what area needs to be cleaned up as they look forward to take the group to another level? If they're going to keep getting better, maybe they keep Joe Woods for continuity. Who needs what group has to be better to take a to take another step? Well, you kind of have your choice between the defensive, uh, the interior defensive line and uh, the safety group. I mean, the safeties have to clean up the tackling. Uh, you know, the missed tackle attempts leading to big plays simply cannot happen moving forward. Um, and then the defensive tackle group has has got to play better because they're getting um, gashed on that side of the ball a little bit more recently. You know, we discussed the possibility of, you know, taking a true run-stopping defensive tackle like a Jordan Davis from Georgia. But, um, you know, with with the analytics in play and what Cleveland wants to do on that side of the ball, maybe that's a little bit too rich for their blood. So, um, you know, there's some other guys in the draft that could serve a similar purpose. Um, and I think there's a good chance they, they go in that direction if Tommy Togiai does not, um, you know, show some signs of development over the last, you know, seven games of the season or, you know, however many we're up to at this point. Um, you know, so I, I think the safeties and the defensive tackle groups would be the most underwhelming. Uh, I don't think there are answers to either one of those questions on the roster right now, just because, um, you know, John Johnson might be around for a couple of years, but realistically speaking, that's probably going to be a position that they've got to address in the next couple of years, especially with Ronnie Harrison coming to free agency, uh, most likely this coming off season. Okay. So give me some draft guys that would be notable players that people should start paying attention to. If we're talking safety, you know, maybe mid first round to, to some other guys, maybe that intrigue you. And then maybe some, uh, some other guys along the defensive line, the D tackles there. Yeah, so uh, the defensive tackle group, you know, if we're talking purely uh, run-stopping capabilities, I mentioned Jordan Davis uh, from Georgia. You've got Marquand McCall um, from Kentucky, who, you know, is kind of a twitched-up guy, battled some inconsistency in his career. I think he's, um, you know, better than the defensive tackle that was drafted out of there last year. Uh, you've got a guy like Fidarian Mathis from Alabama that could serve a similar purpose. Um, you know, the safety group, I think there's – a lot more safety options this year than than what we've seen in recent years. Um, none of those elite options that you know would entice them to probably make that leap in the first round. Uh, but if you get into day two, day three, you know you're looking at the the Brandon Josephs from Northwestern, the um, Jordan Battles from Alabama. You're looking at uh, a guy like Rashad Wisdom um, from Texas Sa- San Antonio. Um, a guy that's a little bit undersized, but um, just a fiery type of player that's going to rally to the ball and, um, you know, quick to react, all that kind of stuff. So uh, there's a lot of pieces that I think, you know, this team doesn't necessarily have to address um, on day one. And I think that's um, kind of the saving grace because I think that allows them to possibly take a center or um, a wide receiver, or if they're not committed to clowny long-term, like maybe an edge rusher, in the first round, although I don't really think it's a, a top-heavy class um, for that once you get past those initial three with Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, um, and George Karlaftis. Not a lot of options after those guys. So um, it's going to be really interesting, but I think Cleveland is in a good position to um, capitalize on the depth at safety and defensive tackle as they get into day two and possibly even into day three. Okay, we'll close with this. Good stuff there. Good, good insight on some prospect names people can pay attention to. 
uh, the the topic at hand, man, that is stressing everybody out is Baker Mayfield. I I just unfiltered. You know, I'm not going to guide you in any direction with this. Where do you sit on it now? You know, three and a half years in with what how he's playing this year and the future that's looming. The reality is you've got to be a little bit concerned. Um, obviously, I don't think they are in a position where they have to make any decisions immediately. Um, you know, he's under contract next year. So if you go into the offseason, um, you explore some of the options that are available to you. I think it's a relatively weak draft class. And, you know, you're not going to get one of those top guys anyway, because realistically speaking, Cleveland's going to be in the middle of the draft, possibly, um, you know, into the 20s, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. So not an ideal spot for you to get a quarterback in the draft. Um, so then you go into the offseason potentially looking at a trade, you know, the, the guys that are available, whether that's Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, you know, we, we don't know who's going to be available, but that's the only possibility where you can honestly say Cleveland could stand to make an upgrade. Uh, so I think the most realistic scenario is that he's back again next season trying to prove himself. Um, and it's kind of a make, or, make it or break it at this point. You know, a lot of people want to commit to Baker Mayfield right now. And, you know, they're saying that uh, he's, he's better than any quarterback that, you know, this franchise has had in quite some time, which is accurate. But you're at the point where you're possibly going to have to commit for, you know, 35 to $40 million annually to him. And that's a significant amount of your salary cap space, especially for a team that is grounded in the run game. Um, you know, so when you get to the point of having to decide if that's worth it, I think that becomes a very challenging question based on what we've seen. I don't think you can make that commitment based on what we have seen because $40 million needs to be a player that is, is going to be playing at a high level 75% of the time or more. This isn't a guy that you should still be hoping is going to reach his peak down the road. So, um, you know, I would be very weary of, of giving him that kind of money. And I know there are some people saying, well, just give him, give him a deal for 30 million, you know, just give him, give him Kirk Cousins money. That's not how it works in the NFL. You're not going to approach an agent for a quarterback and say, Hey, you know, we, we don't think he's worth this. We'll give you this. He's going to, to come back and he's going to say, well, you might not be ready to give us that, but we'll go to free agency and somebody's going to give us that. Um, so I think that's what Cleveland fans have to understand right now is he's not going to come to the table and take less than what market value says he's worth. And quite frankly, I don't think he's worth what, you know, that, that $40 million, that Dak Prescott type money right now. I just, I think he's got to be more consistent um, and you, you want to talk about the injuries and yeah, injuries have played an impact, uh, has played a role into how he's played this season, but he made the conscious decision to play injured. You know, you want to see that toughness, but at the end of the day, if it's hurting the team, like that's got to be factored into the equation. This is a quarterback that literally uses his entire body to create the arm strength that we see downfield. Um, and when he's injured, the way that he's been injured, he's not going to be able to generate that type of velocity um, to be able to get around on his throws and that kind of stuff. And that's obviously what's hampered his play recently. But um, it's not to say that there weren't already concerns about the level of playing consistency uh, prior to the injury. Good stuff, Josh. Great answer, man. I'm trying to collect as many of these things as I can to give folks some perspective on 
how smart minds are feeling about this situation. I think you laid it all out really well. So overall, great stuff. I know the fans of this pod appreciate your insights, especially on the rookies, defensive names to pay attention to in the draft, so on and so forth. Josh, thanks again for your time, man. Of course, man. Anytime. Thanks for joining today's episode, guys. If you happen to miss Chalk Talk, where we broke down offensive line play and went into detail on Baker's Day against the Lions, you can find that replay over at Twitch, the OBR's Twitch channel. Consider being a member there. We would really appreciate a subscription. It means the world to us as we create that online and digital content for you guys. Hopefully you're finding yourself in the middle of a great Thanksgiving week. We have a great Ravens guest coming on tomorrow for your... um, for your you know, Behind Enemy Lines weekly show that we do, and then hopefully we can get back on track with John Colosimo later in the week as well. I do appreciate you guys checking out this show, listening, subscribing, downloading, and all of the general support that you provide to me for the content that I put out. It means the world to me. Thanks again, guys. Have a great Wednesday, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.